Welcome to the first episode of More Than Just Maps. I am your host, Ollie Powers. This podcast is created with the intent to help anyone in the GIS field get from where they are now to where they want to be. Be that your first job, a career move, or just improving your GIS game overall. Today's guest is none other than Tim Nolan of Collin County, Texas. Anyone who's heard of Tim knows he's an incredible public speaker, and he runs one of the most sought-after GIS departments in the state of Texas. And I'm being serious here. People will do almost anything to work for Tim at the county. He's also led dozens of workshops on personal Kanban throughout the GIS community, helping those who have attended take back their time by allowing them to control their work in a practical way. And now for the first part of my interview with Tim Nolan. So I'm here with Tim Nolan on the podcast today. Um, Tim, my first question for you is just a little bit of background about you. Can you tell us how you got into GIS, where you started, um, what your schooling was like, and kind of just like a quick, quick, nice summary of how you got from graduating school to where you are now? Well, okay, I'll, I'll try to tell you a quick story. And, uh, and you, you stop me if this is getting too long. I started college as a biology student. And, uh, and I thought I wanted to be a scientist, right? I fashioned myself with uh, Bunsen burners, beakers, and a lab coat. <laughs> but I always loved geography. There was something about it. Uh, maybe because my dad worked for Braniff Airlines and we used to fly all over the place and I just like look out the window. There was always something about it I really, really enjoyed. I think that uh, happens for a lot of people. Like I remember when I was first getting in geography and I took a flight and it was just looking out, you could see everything and everything you were learning about was just right there in front of you. So I think there's something on that. You may be, you, I think you're right. Now I'm going to challenge the audience. If anyone can out geo nerd me on this, <laughs> um, my parents in, uh, when I was seven or eight years old, bought me an Atlas, a Rand McNally Atlas, a big hardback Atlas. And I would stare and comb through that thing. Like you would not believe to where the bound, the, the bound, the binding came off. And I'm raising we, my hand put, right now because I used to do <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but it was like my favorite gift. And I would page through and identify places I've never seen and just just visualize what it would be like to be in these remote remote locations. So that was always kind of in me, right? That was how I was born. Uh, so I, I, I think I'm going to be a biologist. I go to the University of North Texas and I'm in the biology program and I'm talking to my advisor. And I noticed this human geography class that they teach. And I go, I want to take that class. And he says, no, you're going to waste your money, right? Because that's not part of your degree plan. It's not part of anything. You, you know, you're, I'm like, well, I don't care. I'm going to take it. And I took that class and it changed my life. Uh, and Dr. Andy, uh, Andy Schoolmaster, uh, who was the chairman of the geography department, taught this class. It was an entry-level class. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I can actually get a degree in this stuff that I love. So I became almost instantly a geography major. Now that posed a different problem. So this is in the late 80s, uh, with my dad in particular. He's like, what are you going to do <laughs> with a geography degree? I think a lot of people ask that. You're, you're, what are you going to become, a school teacher with a geography Ex degree? And it's just like, no. <laughs> exactly. And out, you know, it must have been serendipitous, you know, some, you know, just a gift from the heavens. North Texas offered the first GIS class they ever taught. And I was in it. And oh, that's really the, cool. The light bulb went off. I'm like, this is it. This is something I can do and maybe make a career out of it. So I ended giving up giving me kind of chills because I'm like, <laughs> yeah. this is almost like exactly like what I experienced yeah. when I got into geography for the first time. And I, 
it just, and everyone has this experience. Nobody comes in to be a GIS professional. They just sort of become a GIS professional over time, at least. But that's that's for another part of the discussion. So they, uh, I, I take this class. It's, that also changes my life. But the thing is, the geography program is small. They only have so many classes. So I'm, I'm done. There's no more geography classes I can take. So I still have to graduate somehow. And I remember I've already had a couple of biology classes. So I ended up taking a few more biology classes just to get a minor and then be done to graduate. And now I'm excited. Now I want a, a job in GIS. And they're out there. You know, when I, when I graduated in 91, the economy wasn't so great. But there were GIS jobs that were available. And my first job I ever took, and this is where I get my moniker, perhaps even my brand, as the plot boy. Uh, I got a job at the city of Arlington. They had a pin plotter, which probably most of you have no idea what that thing is. And it I'll would admit, just, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> it had four color pins on it, and it would draw, literally draw a map that you would send to the plotter. Not in a cool, you know, like laser way. It, it actually would draw the thing. It, it was, and my job really was to hit send on the printer. So I'd print, plot off this map that would take two hours to print and make sure the black ink didn't run out. That was it, that was my job. And so, <laughs> all, <laughs> so I would wait for a request to come in, hit print, and then I would challenge myself. Do I have time to go to lunch before the black ink, pink, the black ink runs out? Because this printer wasn't smart enough to stop printing when the ink ran out. It would just continue to go as if it had Oh my ink. gosh. So, <laughs> so how did you actually I, do that? Was it still going while you're trying try to read? It did, yeah, so, so the, the, yeah, 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 exactly. So I, I thought I'd go for it. I, I, I ran, grabbed some lunch, got caught in a little bit of traffic. I thought I still have enough time. Come back and it had for 30 minutes had been drawing nothing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and so I had to stop and start all over. But anyway, I, I knew that this wasn't the GIS job I wanted. So for the four months I had that job, I was basically looking for other jobs. And okay. this Collin County job was available. And, I'm, and this is what I want to share with everybody here is it asked for five years of GIS experience. Nobody on the planet had five years of GIS experience. You know, some people did, I guess, but not anybody coming out of college. Because like I said, I took the very first GIS class ever offered at North Texas. There yeah. were, you know, and, uh, other universities around here too were just offering these classes for the first time. So I only had four months, but the lesson I learned early was apply for it anyway. You know, you just never know. I clearly was not qualified, uh, but I applied anyway. And I was able to get an interview. And, uh, and I guess I sold it on the interview. You know, I was able to kind of talk the GIS that I was doing. I was really leaning on my college experience, that one class that I had. But, <laughs> one uh, class. <laughs> exactly. That's all I had. And I got hired. I later found out after talking to, to my manager at that time, was he goes, Tim, I didn't hire you because of your education. I hired you because of your experience. And I only had four months experience. He goes, that was four months more than most of the people we were talking to. That's wow. how early GIS was. Oh gosh. But what I learned there was experience weighs more to many managers hiring than, uh, than education. And at this point, it's GIS as we know it today, not cartography as they had been doing up until then. That's right. Right. This okay. was a, yeah, my title was GIS database administrator. So it was a GIS position and it was in IT back, back then it was called data processing. Okay. Uh, and that was, that was unique, right? Most of these, 
if there were GISs at all out there, they were either in planning or engineering or things like that. But this is one of the earliest ones that were, I think, that were actually in the IT department. And I think a lot of GISs in IT these days, but back then it was pretty unique. But yeah, that was it. And, you know, I mean, the story over. I'm still here. <laughs> That's a <laughs> that long time. So you've been there since 91. Oh my 92. gosh. I guess 92. technically okay. early 92. So uh, I've been there 27 years. And I will tell you, uh, since then, I, I remember having a conversation with one of my professors, Dr. Don Lyons, and um, everyone was excited. I was actually a hero in the geography department because I got a real job that wasn't a teaching job. Not that there's anything wrong with teaching jobs, <laughs> right? But it was like, oh my God, you, you got a geography degree and you got another type of job. And, uh, and uh, so I, they, it was great, uh, particularly the professor. So I, was, I remember having lunch with uh, uh, Dr. Lyons and he's like, you need to hire interns. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, how do I do that? I just got the job, you know. So, so for two years, I was kind of pitching this idea. Hey, I need some help here. I'm all by myself, and we put together. Uh, it, it took two years, but in 1994, I hired the first two interns that we had. So we had a GIS internship program. So and okay, I kind of want to back up a little bit here. Okay. So it took you two years to get that. How many times did you have to go and pitch to get that program? Well, I had to, I had to balance, like, am I, do I know what I'm doing at this job? Am I going to get fired? <laughs> Cause it's brand new. Always uh, a concern. Versus, yeah. Versus when, you know, so you, you kind of find times that, that make sense. Right. So uh, like we would have budget meetings on what we we're going to buy next year. And that's the, when you ask for new staff, there was always an idea that there was going to be immediately an analyst hired, but that didn't take, that took a long time. We didn't actually hire our first full timer until 1997, which was five years later. Oh gosh. So in 94, we, in 94, we started the internship program. It was, they could work here as long as they wanted to. And then it was up to them if they got credit, you know, cause it was so new, we didn't really know. That has been, you know, probably my proudest achievement is to, of launching that, uh, that internship program. And it just celebrated to Ollie last month, uh, its 25th anniversary. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it's been a, you know, a, a, a wonderful experience. And the way we look at interns, and this, this will get into, you know, uh, you know, like when you go out and look for work, the way we hire interns or the way we like to hire interns is we look at, we, a lot of us have been here a long time, you know, so we're not on the edge of new technology, uh, but we want to be, right? What's out there now? What's, what's, what's hot? What's happening these days? And, uh, but when we hire an intern, they, they bring in new energy, right? So it's almost like the intern is training us <laughs> on what's, <laughs> what's being taught, what's, what's out there, you know, so I and, see and that, what you did here. <laughs> and that's, what's all, and that's the way it's always been. And then sometimes every once in a while, at least four times. Uh, so just to give you some stats on the internship. Uh, we've had 37 people come through that program okay. and four of them we've been able to hire full time over the years. Nice. So, uh, and then now we have it, it's not really technically an internship anymore. It's called a permanent part-time, but permanent it's like, part -time. It okay. yeah, so it's just a, you know, so that's, those are just details that the county deals with. But the idea is it's somebody that's getting experience and as they graduate or after the post-graduation, they've, they can work here, earn some money, and then maybe, you know, choose what they want to do instead of just jump on the first opportunity. I think that's really cool that you're actually one paying your interns who are considered part-time. You hear of a lot of programs where the internships are unpaid and a lot of people will just take unpaid labor. 
in exchange for giving people experience, which is great and all, but at the same time in this day and age, we, we have bills to pay. So I think that's really cool that you're taking people who are fresh out of school, who don't have the experience that they need and you're still paying them to gain that experience. Right. So that's really cool. Well, and let me add to that a little bit. We also have volunteer programs too. Okay. I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you a good example, right? So let's say there's, we have a lot of good candidates. We can only hire one intern, but we had three really great candidates. Well, I'll always offer, hey, I know it's not paid, but if you want to get experience, put Collin County on your resume, we can't pay you, but we can give you a, a desk and a, a system and, and access to data and work on it. So, you know, it's good that we pay people, but I always tell folks, you know, if, if, you, if you want experience, and that's what most people want, certainly the students, offer to volunteer. And maybe there's a paid position or maybe there's not. I get it that you've got bills to pay and all that stuff. But sometimes if you need that experience, uh, in fact, we just we have an in, we have a volunteer that just started today. You know, I just met her. That's really cool. Brett, Brett's kind of handling that. Yeah, you know, our our GIS uh, supervisor, Brett Finster. Mm -hmm. uh, but he he's reaching out, right? So it it kind of moves on. You know, Brett's now taking over these programs uh, and just kind of keeping the keeping the ball rolling. But uh, but I think that yes, certainly a paid internship is great. But a, a volunteer or non-paid internship is also great. You know, if you have the right perspective, and certainly if you can afford it. You know, uh, if you can't, then, you know, obviously, then you got to keep looking. But if you, you've got a way to survive and spend 20 hours a week or 10 hours a week someplace volunteering, I highly recommend it. That's really good advice. Um, so kind of going back to the people that you are hiring in these positions now, what are you looking for from these candidates? Because obviously, you're going to have the, the candidates who don't make the cut for you. So for you, what is the cut? I mean, I remember when I was first getting into my first GIS jobs, I came out of my GIS program thinking I knew everything when in fact I knew the snowflake on top of the iceberg, right, <laughs> not even the tip right. of the iceberg. You think you know things, but you get into the real world and you quickly realize you don't know anything. So what are you looking for for these fresh hires? Let, let me just kind of uh, refer to your, your snowflake response. Uh, <laughs> I'm just, and this, hopefully this is helpful advice. Just know and, and, and hopefully there's managers out there that believe this too, is I don't care how experienced you are or unexperienced you are, you're still going to have to be trained in our environment. So no matter how much GIS you know, certainly you can contribute, but you still need to be trained where the data is located and kind of projects that we're working on. So just if you're, if you're interviewing for positions, just know, and perhaps you can frame some of your questions to the interviewer, I know that you're going to have to train me on this, you know, so, and then kind of, you know, kind of help guide maybe, you know, the interviewee can guide the interviewer in a direction instead of just having to respond all the time. I don't know if that works all the time or not, but, uh, but let me go back to your question, right? What do we look for? So back, you know, I would say a couple of years ago, three or four years ago, uh, let me go back even farther, right? 10 years ago, I was promoted to the applications manager. So then I had the GIS group, but I also have the app dev team here at Collin County and the records group at Collin County. And uh, so I took a posture of, I want developers. For one, they get paid well. So I, you know, so the position I'm looking for when a GIS position becomes available is a GIS developer. And, and then we would just be at the same tier, the same line. I mean, this is all like wonderful thoughts that was not really reality. The candidates that I looked for was easy. 10 years ago, I got promoted 
to um, applications manager. I you know, had a team of developers, so I thought, ah, every new GIS position, when it becomes available, if it becomes available, I'm going to hire a GIS developer, a GIS programmer. And it was just that easy to think, because I thought it would be in tier in the same league as the other developers that we had. But since then, over the years, uh, I, I've kind of changed the way I look at this. Now, I can't say that I can't speak for every manager hiring GIS positions, because it is kind of you know, nice to have a developer. But what I've learned is to, there's something special about GIS people, right? The, the, the notion or the idea that they were spatial thinkers, which is a very different than uh, what, what I see in my development team. And I'll, I'll try to put it simply, in my mind, I can train, I can train a, a GIS person, a spatial thinker to become a coder. But I don't think I could take your average coder and make them think spatially. I think you're oh, born. I'm going to totally agree with you. Like, I'm a, I'm a geographer who learned how to code. I can do right. Python. I can do JavaScript. I can do a whole slew of things. My husband, who is an actual programmer, will look at things I'm doing and be like, I don't know what you're doing. We code in the same language, and he could not do what I do. So you, you have a better experience than I do with this, that this is, you, you see it like I've seen it, that, that we're, some of us are born differently. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, we have this weird spatial thinking in us back to when we, you know, we took our geography classes and just fell in love with that kind of stuff. It's something inside that makes us who we are. And I, I'm trying to embrace that now. Uh, I'll take this even a step further. I was at a conference recently for uh, developers, like a, a, an agile conference that they talk about uh, developing techniques. And even there, they were at, they were saying if you want to be if you want to write creative code uh, don't hire someone who knows how to write code and that's all they do hire an artist right someone who can creatively think and that's where I think GIS people are you know right they kind of visualize what it is they're going to do and then they write code to make it happen the code comes last sometimes right it, you you sort of have to visualize it first yeah and definitely hire, and the the notion of an artist right a, a creative thinker again. You can probably teach an artist how to write code, but you can't teach people to be an artist, right? You, can, you, you just are. And I think that that's the, the real power of us. And I, I can say that now confidently with over 25 years under my belt, that I think that there is a, you know, that we are a, a class of folks that are just unique. And, uh, and, and, I, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be my mission until I retire to, to make that a big deal, right? To make that you know, the, you know, GIS seems to be a tier below IT, you know, in pay and things like that. Yeah. And I'm trying to share with all, you know, I'm in IT, been in IT all these years, is look, they're doing a lot more IT stuff. And plus, they know all this spatial thinking things. And so I'm going to try to turn this around and where I can see that GIS should be paid more. And I'll, I'll give you an, a, a current example well, of what I was going to ask, like, how do you, have you noticed this? especially in GIS is we're, we're wearing all these hats. We're wearing the developer hat. We're wearing the cartographer hat. We're wearing the graphic design hat. We're wearing the analysis hat. We're wearing the database owner hat. Yeah. The, the like we're wearing all these hats and we're still being paid less than if we're someone solid. was, yeah. was just only wearing one. And I've heard some people be, well, it's the Jack of all trades symptom. You're, you're good at everything, but a master of none, but that's not true. You have to be a master at, them to put them together successfully exactly the mastery is combining all of that to make a beautiful product like you do 
And I think the thing is people just take it for granted. And really, and I'm blaming me and my own generation, right? The first GIS people that got these, these cool jobs <laughs> of like, yeah, I'll do it for free. You know, we love it, you know, yeah. and we didn't sell ourselves as something that like a, like, like, a, like we were a, a gemstone, right? I mean, we, we, we just sold it as I'll, I'll do it for half of what you want to pay me because I love this stuff so much. And what's happened is that has perpetuated throughout the years. And now GIS people are, are at a tier that's pretty consistent. And uh, like, uh, you know, I've even known GIS people who have quit and just got on as an IT department, you know, a, a, even a lesser, you know, doing less work and got paid more because it had IT in, in the title. So I'm working on this. I don't know how I can fix this, but I'll give you an example of, of you know, where I messed up and where maybe you, Ollie, and your generation can fix this. <laughs> Thanks. The, the one thing, yeah, sorry about that. But uh, <laughs> uh, the one thing that, uh, that, that like, I'm in, I, I'm in local government. Every local government right now and every business right now wants a security officer. And they're in so they're in such demand right now that they they they're getting top pay. I mean, meaning max out pay, and and that's frustrating because I want a GIS person who is also skilled, right? Has a special skill, but yet they don't they don't look at this as as valuable as they should. So here's what I'm going to suggest to to those that are looking for work now is I think you need to rebrand yourself. You know, certainly the positions or GIS positions that are out there, and maybe you should, you know, certainly apply for those, but you need to rebrand yourself. Uh, uh, Adam Carnow does this. He's got a wonderful presentation about branding GIS. And he talks about, you know, you're, you're different now, right? You're always what you were, but now we just need to rebrand it like a locational analyst or a data scientist, you know, something that's, that's kind of cool, right? Uh, you know, GIS, I think it's cool, but I don't know if the whole world does anymore. But data science is cool right now. I, I even Very work with so. I even work with the uh, SMU. Uh, they have a data analytics department, and 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 they're selling themselves as as visualization artists, and that's our job, right? That's GIS always has always done this. Yet I don't want the GIS folks to to miss miss the train on this. They need to rebrand themselves and go look. Even the people like myself that are still in GIS need to sell the, the visualization aspect. Yeah, it's a map, but it could also be a dashboard. It can also be another type of visualization. We already know how to handle all of this stuff and we need to own this new wave that's happening uh, about uh, data analytics. And that needs to be the GIS people to, to own that. And if they don't, if they miss it, then, then they'll just be left behind. That's my fear, that, that we just need to sell ourselves as more than just GIS. Like, you, Ollie, you already gave the list, right? Here's 10 things I am, but they may just think, well, that's just GIS. And just GIS to them might just mean that's just maps. Yeah. And or I think a lot you, of people do that. It's just, oh, you're the map person. You're the map person. What do you do? Oh, you make the map. Doesn't it, matter what we had to do to get that map as the final product, but we're exactly. just map people. We need to do a better job to describe what it is that we do to get there. So on that long list of who you are, right, that makes up a GIS person, Add, dot, add data scientists, add new buzzwords that and what you'll do is trigger. Oh, I didn't know GIS was that. It's always been that. You don't need to shove it back in their face. Go, yeah, I think GIS can help here. I'll give you another example of what we do here is I, I, when I go out to sell GIS, I don't sell it as GIS anymore. 
GIS is just part of the solution. You said it earlier, Ollie, you, you, you know, I do all this stuff. You don't know all the things I did to make this map. Well, I'm trying to turn that on its head where you, I'm selling a solution. It may be GIS. I won't even tell them that. I'll just go, here's what the customer wants. Let's all get together and we go, oh, you know, I think we can do this with an operational dashboard out of GIS. Or it may not be GIS. That's the advantage I have now being an app. So I've got all of these sort of wonderful tools to work off of. But I'm a GIS at heart. And, I, and, I, and I'm now trying to sell GIS as not GIS anymore. It's just, it's my drill, right? It's my big tool that I can uh, pull out when I need it. And it may be a map, it may be a data, it may be a dashboard, it may be a visualization, but it can always be GIS. As you said earlier, it's easier to have a geographer building that app than a developer who doesn't understand the spatial component of it. And they, they might develop a really good looking app, but it may not, might not do what we need it to do. So often what I see when developers are working on something is they'll do exactly what the customer said and then you deliver it and the customer doesn't like it. Well, it did everything you said it wanted to do. You know, I think it's the, 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 the other, right. The creative types that kind of like, I think you really meant this, mm -hmm. right. Where, you know, coders, you know, and I'm, and I shouldn't say all coders are this way, right. I mean, uh, but, but if you, you know, if you write code for a living, right, it's nice to have clear requirements or clear, description of what to do, you know, usually any GIS project we've ever had, it's always sitting down with the customer, just having a conversation and understanding what they want and then delivering. You know, sometimes this is going to be a link. Sometimes it might be a map or sometimes it might be an application. But I think that's the key is once you're in, you need to sell GIS as a solution, not yeah. just as maps. And I think on that, it's also using common language that maybe the, the end client will understand because you can go in speaking all sorts of GIS jargon and they'll be like, yeah, sure, that's totally, like, they don't know what you're talking about, so you need to speak the same language as them as well. Um, and I think the same way, if you're going back, if you're getting a developer to develop for you, you may need to make sure that they understand what it is you're saying. You might have thought that you're being clear with what you're asking them to do and with the right group of people, that would have been really clear, but with a developer, they don't know what that means. I mean, and, you know, and you're right. You're absolutely right. I, and, uh, and like I said, it's mostly this, about 10 years ago, uh, we started getting into agile development. And we started that with our app dev team. And we, a year later, we introduced that to GIS. Early on in agile, right, they talk a lot about the relationship with the customer, right? Interaction with the customer is way better than documentation or processes. And I remember talking, you know, my first meetup that I went to and we talked to some thought leaders and I was just kind of introducing and getting to know some of these folks. And I remember talking to someone who I highly respect now, but it was day one. I go, you know, in GIS, we've always done this, right? We've always talked to the customer because you have to understand, especially if you are making a map, you know, what is it that they want to see on the map? You know, what is the, what is the information that they need to convey in a way that, that it's going to help tell their story? And that's agile, right? That's, you know, when you write code, if you're developing things, you, you have to sit down with the customer and really have a conversation, really understand what they're trying to say. Not in a document, right? Don't write it in an email or a piece of paper or anything like that. Talk, right? Talk about it. And so I think that's another thing that us GISers can sell is we have always been agile. Agile is another buzz phrase right now that everyone's getting into. We should own that, right? We are that. We've always been that. We just need to brand ourselves as that. 
And, uh, you know, so I've found that it's uh, a good way to get people who are doing the work in front of people who want the work done and then, and then figure it out. Right. And, and, and it doesn't just stop with one conversation. It's, it's always iterative. Right. So is this what you want? No. Can you move this here? Can you do that? I mean, it, it's that kind of stuff, but I guarantee you, once you get to that phase where you're having a conversation like this with your customer, then no longer is it a project that you're working on. It's a project that we are working on and the customer begins to own the project with it. And, and then when it's done, we did it, not you did it for me. We did it together. Thank you for joining us for our first ever episode. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with part two. See you then.